0: Hello, Blenders, and welcome to another special bonus episode of The Real Blend Podcast. No, I am not Sean O'Connell. I am just your humble producer, Gabe, here to introduce you to this awesome bonus interview. Sean right now is in Vegas covering CinemaCon. He will be back later this week to join us for the full show with both Jake, Kevin, and myself, uh, where he'll hopefully have a lot of great news and uh, reactions to some footage that he's seeing out of Vegas as we speak um, as well as our usual reviews and such but this right here today is a bonus interview with director george tillman jr for his new george foreman biopic now i will get out of the way let sean and jake take this one over and i hope you all enjoy i'll see you on the other side
1: Glad to see you. Glad to be a part of this. Thank you, guys.
2: Well, excellent. Thank you for your time. I'm going to jump into this. Um, I would imagine it's it's so incredibly valuable to have George Foreman around to be able to ask questions and talk with and get the details right. I will be honest, as a movie fan, I do tend to get weary anytime the real person is involved, just because you just want to make sure that they're not coming in and kind of whitewashing everything. But it really does seem like you guys gave a very warts-and-all presentation of his entire life. I'm just sort of curious, was there ever a moment where you were weary of having George Foreman involved in the production of the process? And are there biopics, are there particular situations where as a storyteller, you would say, you know what, I don't want the real person involved
1: in this case? Well, and and for me, I think it was great to have George involved because um, when I first met him, I met him, at Sony actually, he flew out from Houston. We had a conversations and we were talking, it was so many great things that he was telling me that I think the audience and his fans or boxing fans never knew about. You know, like in in Zaire, he told me that he really only saw Ali one time in Zaire, which is the moment that we sort of see in the film now when he meets uh, Ali at the Intercontinental Hotel. The second thing he was saying, everybody had this thing about the dog that he had coming to Zaire, however, he was like, he had the dog. It was never a problem, you know what I mean, about that. Um, so having him give me certain ideas and thoughts about what it was really like to be in the ring with Ali, what it's like to lose the, the, the title belt and his insecurities or his vulnerabilities, those are the things that you can't get out of a book. So I started seeing the value. Only thing that was very important to George was you got to get that scene right with after the fight that he had with Jimmy Young in Puerto Rico, the, the fight that changed his life. So mm-hmm. he described that. That was the only thing that he was really, really concerned about in the film. And I felt like he really trusted me as a filmmaker to tell his story. So that was exciting for me. Then to follow up really quickly,
2: are there biopic situations where you as a storyteller or as a director would say, yeah, I don't want the person involved in this situation?
1: Well, I have done that. Like one of my earlier films, Men of Honor, um, the uh, Carl Brashear was there. That was about the first African American Navy diver. But Love then I did movie, the movie about way. Christopher Wallace. You know the the notorious Big who passed away. Mm-hmm. And I wish there were some things that I could talk to him about. His mother was there, involved in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a little bit of both. Someone who was there every day, but gave me carte blanche to tell the story I wanted to tell. And I had I did a biopic where the person was deceased. And I felt in both scenarios, I just wished that this scenario that I had with George Foreman existed, where I can make a phone call. George only came to the set one time. Um, that helps me as a filmmaker, but he was available. I need pictures. I need this. What were you thinking in this particular fight with Joe Frazier? I was scared of Joe Frazier. You were scared of Joe Frazier? You knocked him down. You know, six times in two rounds. I was scared. Joe, he used to come at you. He had his head down and he had that left hook. Ali, I wasn't afraid of. That's why I lost the fight. So those are the things that we needed in those moments when we were telling uh, the story. And that got me excited to have him uh, be
3: nearby for us. George, do you ever wish you could have watched Notorious uh, with Biggie? Just sit next to him and watch the film. Oh, man, how great was that? How great that would be. I came close. The closest
1: I came to that was being next to his son. You know, his son played him in the early years. And being at the premiere and watching his father, on, you know, his portrayal of his father on screen was was amazing. Um, A great artist, man. Again, I'm attracted to stories where there's a growth and there's a journey. And that was the main thing that got me excited. George's story was very big, huge roller coaster ride. And I just felt like,
3: as a filmmaker, those are the things that you want. And these things are not made up, they happen in his real life. Well, so that leads perfectly into my next question, because honestly, you cover so much ground in this movie and um, each of these moments, whether it be his Olympic gold medal run at 19 or, of course, the fights against uh, Frasier and Ali, they could be their own standalone movies. Like, what's the one that you wish you had more time to just live in? To explore the details and maybe, you know, stretch out the drama that's associated with it. Well, you know, the great th- George story for me
1: always existed. Sometimes you see a biopic and you can just tell this certain moment or this moment. Um, but for me, I felt like I needed to tell George entire story from a, yeah. a man who was a boxer, the angry boxer. As a heavyweight champ, you got everything you want, but sometimes you can be unhappy in your life to a guy 20 years later at, you know, at 46, winning the championship and boxing for selfless reasons. I needed that whole story. Um, I think in the process, as a director, you shoot all these great moments, you know, like certain fights and certain drama. I had all the scenes, but I couldn't, you know. I can't get out there with a two hour and 30 minutes story. <laughs> that yeah. was always the hardest thing when you as a director becoming an editor. Um, but I felt like we felt like the main thing is let's let's keep the story moving and let's show the whole entire story. And that's what I wanted to do as a filmmaker.
3: Gotcha.
2: You know, George, I would imagine it goes without saying that, that the casting of George Foreman was incredibly important. And you guys really did crush it. I want to talk about casting. Uh, the secondary real life people, Frazier and Muhammad Ali and Howard Cosell and, and Johnny Carson, he, he, fantastic. Um, I want to talk about. Could you just talk to me about the challenges of uh, not just George Foreman, but these other monuments of history that are so recognizable?
1: Oh, that was that's always interesting. You know, like you say Howard Cosell, Matthew Clave, man, he's a great actor. You see all the time. How do you portray Howard Cosell? And I knew that moment the relationship that I uh, that. Ali had with Cosell, but the monumental moment down goes Frazier. You know, everybody has seen this, have heard it, has seen it on YouTube. You know, sometimes it takes a really great actors who can really not do a sort of imitation portrayal, but just get into the root of who these guys were. So even though we may see Howard Cosell on screen for a certain amount of time is where was Howard Cosell in his life at ABC? Why was he particularly uh, surprised down goes Fraser? Because Fraser at that time was, the, was supposed to win. George was the underdog. So all these things is having the great actors. Forrest Whitaker playing you know, Doc Brodus was, was very important for us in terms of getting that right. Uh, Lawrence Gilliard playing Archie Moore, the heavyweight champion. So really try to find the essence of these guys. My thing is, is try to find great actors and those were the key for us to
3: be able to make those parts really feel like is really real and not a portrayal imitation. So I want to bring up this point, uh, George, because I don't think people who watch the movie are going to truly believe that that Chris later on in the film put on all of that weight. Like they're going to just assume it's some type of prosthetic, you know, so there's something that that additionally helped him to achieve that look of George Foreman later on where we know. uh, But I believe it's Forrest Whitaker's character refers to him as the Michelin man, (laughs) essentially when he's coming out to fight Um, from a director standpoint. From what I understand, you you paused production to allow Chris to go do that. Um, that seems to me terrifying, you know, just logistically. You're putting a lot of faith in, in, in a number of things happening that you don't have control over. Um, did you leave yourself some room to, like, work on other things while that happened? Can you walk me through that process? Because, you know, a, a, a production usually is racing along to meet a deadline. Whenever you tell me that you put a pause into something, that sounds like... Um, like it could lead to so many headaches and nightmares.
1: Yeah, I mean, the key to that is really finding the right actor who's who has the commitment. Uh, a lot of that was very early on during the audition stage. And when he first Chris Davis first came into the audition, um, he was amazing as an actor. I didn't get a chance to see him until several months later because of the COVID and pandemic situation. He flew out to L.A. and I had a chemistry test between him and Sullivan Jones, who plays Ali. I wanted those two guys together. That's when I realized how huge he was and and a great body physique that he had at 6'4", I believe, um, in his pounds. That means I could have an actor who's not only a great actor, who can play the young George at 220 and be able to go up as well. It helped that I saw him in a play. I saw a picture of him in a play playing Jack Johnson at the Lincoln Center. So that Mm -hmm. was like, I know he can get the weight. So, actually, on the chemistry test, I actually shot him to tell the studio, This is what you're gonna look like, and this is what you're gonna look like later. He says, I can get to there, and I can get to there. Wow. And then I looked at the camera again. And I said, Say that one more time for the studio. I can get here, I can get there, which gave us the sense that we don't need body suits. We just need a break. Uh, working with De Niro, Robert De Niro, I heard stories from him telling me how Raging Bull, he just ate in between his break to gain the weight. So that's where that six weeks came in. And as a filmmaker, yes, you are worried. Are you gonna make it? You know, but one of the key was, let's leave somebody who's committed alone and put on those calories each day. I didn't check with him until week six when I came back. I just had complete faith because I had the complete faith and commitment throughout the whole year, during COVID, during the shutdown, to keep working, keep studying, us talking, us going through the scenes, how make sure we don't mess this up. We can't mess George's story. We can't mess up the fights. This stuff is on YouTube. Those are right. the things in that commitment. So as a filmmaker, you're afraid there's always a backup. But I was always thinking as a filmmaker, if, if, how are we going to have a bodysuit when he's in the ring? You know, so right, right, right. that was always there. But we made that date and I trusted that commitment and um, things worked out. George, what was your reaction when you first saw him after that break then? Blown away, man. Gone was the six-pack, the body definition, the mustache, and the afro. That commitment came with the afro, too. I mean, a year of not trying to change your hair to get George's afro in the 70s and the mustache. All that's gone. And when I saw him, it was the bald head. the, The stomach was out. Yeah. And it slowed down his movement. And I was like, great. I just... I was shocked. And then when I got shocked, a big smile came in my face. So let's go. Let's do it. (laughs) So that's (laughs) where we are. That's amazing.
2: Also, I just want to say how cool it is. And it's got to be the ultimate compliment to yourself as a filmmaker that you can say Things like and start stories, start stories with that one time Robert De Niro was telling me about Raging Bull. Like the fact that you can just casually <laughs> say things like that is is the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, um, <laughs> we were talking. Sean and I were just talking about how much we loved uh, the end credits, that, which feature a real picture and then sort of that moment that you you sort of recreated it in the film. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. But one of them that I thought. Was interesting, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you didn't replicate was that iconic Muhammad Ali moment where he's kind of beating his chest while standing over George Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle. And I was wondering if that was a conscious uh, choice on your part not to try to recreate that image uh, in the film.
1: Yeah, that whole thing is is always a key. Just to, For me, um, this is George's story. I got to stay in George's POVs. George's, I got to stay with George. If you notice, too, when you're watching the fights, Uh, Everything is strategically to a T where we need it to be. I never go into the other guy's corner. I never go into Ali corner or Joe Fraser. corner. I stayed with George the whole way through. Uh, That was that thing. All the movements that... Ali does, and uh, Sullivan Jones is to a T. Um, but that was, that, was, that, that, was the, that was the key, is just to stay in George's POV most of the time. And that, the reason we did that, that in credits is very important, because a lot of things that George did in there that you guys see, some people ain't going to believe that he did it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. cow, right? Yeah, You yeah. know what I mean? Or pulling yeah, the yeah. Jeep, you know what I mean? So yeah. those are the things that, hey, this is not fiction. This is what happened. And I wanted people to see uh, how hard we put together
3: to make this as as as, as close as we can to reality. Uh, Mr. Tillman, I want to go a little bit into your journey, because there's a, a line in the movement in the movie that that caught my eye, which is when somebody says uh, George says at one point, like, I want to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And he essentially is an amateur at this point. You know, he'd barely thrown a punch in a, in a professional ring. Um, and it makes me think of you coming in as a filmmaker. Like, do you when you were starting, did you set the sights immediately of like, I'm going to be the next Scorsese, I'm going to be the next, you know, Coppola, or or do you, or was it just like, I want to get a I want to get a job, you know, the, where's my first step in the door so that I can start making films? Uh, at this point, is it is it easier to set your sights on the pinnacle, or is it easy to set like a realistic goals, especially when it comes to filmmaking?
1: I mean, for me, I mean, I'm I was a kid coming from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, man, like where it's cold. I mean, you spend time watching television. Um, the only filmmaker I knew at that time was Michael Schultz. Okay. okay? And ironically, the first film I saw as a kid was Coolie High, a 1975 film that Michael Schultz directed. And Michael Schultz was from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. That was the first goal for me. And when I watched that movie, it was like you saw people laugh, cry. And in the reviews at that point, I remember reading as a young boy, this is like the black American graffiti. But for me, I looked at it like, wow, this is some people that look like me on screen with quality. And that was my connection. Right. And I was like, my goal is to make people laugh, have a good time, have people cry. If I could just get one film, all I want is one film, you know. And then later on when I saw a taxi driver. Right. And I saw that and I saw, wow, you can use film and camera to manipulate or get people to feel or give people a certain subjective point of view. New York streets and the love of New York that Martin Scorsese had. So you put those two together, by the time I was like, that's what I wanted to do. So when I got down to Milwaukee, when I got down to Men of Honor, I was like, I got Glenn Turman from Cooley High, De Niro from Taxi Driver. So yeah. I rate that movie with them, but half the time I was spending time talking to them about their movie. So, so as <laughs> a filmmaker, you just keep in reality, let me just try to make the best film to get people entertained, but have something to say. That's how I take it one day at a time, you know? Gotcha. Um, George, this this
2: might be a, a simple question, but I am genuinely curious as to the answer, which is that obviously George Foreman is still with us, like luckily so, that's fantastic. So as a storyteller, how do you know where to stop? Like, how do you know, are we going to bring it all the way up to today? Are we going to stop after this fight or that fight? Are we going to stop at the grills? Like, how do you know,
1: like the right moment to stop telling the story? It was for me, I think, what biopics is, is that narrative drive. And a lot of the time for how I saw the character, you know, George, if I get this, I would get the respect. Mm-hmm. If I just Go to the job corps. It would change my life. i just go to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I would get the respect. Oh, it's not there just because I held the flag? And then, okay, if I beat a heavyweight champion, I got to go through Joe Frazier. Okay, if I lose it, what else there's left if I lose it? The only thing left is myself and changing who I am. So I just kept that through line all the way through for a character all the way till now, I'm fighting not just for myself, I'm fighting for something bigger, which is something that's a selfless things to do. So those are the choices by, you know, using by me. But that's only could understood that by having conversations with George and understanding what he was feeling at specific times. And being that he was there, those phone calls were actually helped me a lot to get that, to tell me what are the, the most important things to tell the story. Like, for example, the best fight I ever seen in my entire life, I believe, was the George Foreman versus the Ron Lyle fight. I believe in that fight, it was four knockdowns. I think George got knocked down once, Lyle got knocked down two times, three times. Uh, it went up the whole distance. One of the best fights I've ever seen. I couldn't put it in there at that time because th- I couldn't put it in the material because it's, what is the choices of we get it. Um, those are the things that as a filmmaker that you try to include yourself when you talk to someone who's still alive like George.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, George, I tell this story every once in a while. I boxed once in my life. Uh, like legitimately once with gloves and and headgear and everything. And I, by that, I mean, I got punched in the nose once <laughs> and I was very quick to say, nope, never again. Uh, not that you have to box in order to do a movie like this, but do you have any experience at all with boxing? Did you have to get in there and take a punch at all to know what it feels like? Well, I'm going to just tell you, man, throughout my career, I always try to emulate
1: or go into what the character is trying to do. Like uh, we're talking about Notorious. I try to... Try to freestyle hip hop, you know, I Good tried I uh, got into mark V diving suit soul food I was you know, I was already there. That's my life. So boxing was the next choice Okay, I'm gonna tell you what it was. I said I, I got to get in the ring I got to understand what it was like. So You're getting right. the cardio was a major thing and Then working out what jabs are what a left hook right hook was great get in the ring I'm ready to go it Took me four weeks to do that all that changed when you get hit Oh, God, yes. Okay. At that point, I think I understand what needs to be done and um, I'm okay with it. So that changes
3: the thing, man. (laughs) That phrase exists for a reason. Everything, all your plans change once you get hit. (laughs) Yes, there's a big difference.
2: Uh, you know, I, I've got to say there are so many moments in this film where, and you're, you're right in, in that the, all, of, all of George's fights are on YouTube and, and they sort of live in our consciousness almost as a part of pop culture. But I am curious, having the opportunity to actually talk with him about these fights, because there are so few people that know what it's like to actually be in the ring during those iconic historic moments. Which of his fights most changed for you mentally once you were able to hear it from his perspective?
1: I think what changed the most was really sort of the the Ali, uh, you know, Foreman versus Ali fight. Mm. Uh, What I felt was, you know, when you watch the fight, you just sense that Ali maybe outsmarted George. Um, But the key is when I started diving into the character and to dive into George in that moment, it was a lot of different variables too. You know, George himself was going through a divorce at that particular time. Um George himself at that time verbally told me I just didn't take him seriously. I thought I could get him out in two or three rounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. At that time too knowing that Ali had been studying fights of George there was one particular fighter I don't have his name at to the top of my head that did take George to 8 or 9 rounds. Mm-hmm. So Ali was able to study that. Um and then I really feel right in the middle of two divine just divine intervention is that Ali realized that he couldn't dance around the second or third round, so he started retreating to the ropes. All those variables, and the key thing is, can you imagine how to, if you wanna get somebody out, and you keep punching, you keep punching. Those were the things that I felt as a filmmaker, I had to let the audience to feel that. I wanted the audience to feel like, stop, slow down. You're punching yourself out, and that will to prove, that will to show that I'm better. And that will that goes to the narrative is, would they love me? You know, all that was there. What I felt like I wanted to, one of the things I felt I learned that George was sort of not Ali outsmarted him, but his will to change, his will to not slow down and will to think instead of think Mm -hmm. this way, instead of your fists, I think it would have been a different fight. And I think that's probably why it wasn't a rematch. That's why Ali never rushed back into that a uh, rematch with George. Um, so that's something that I learned in the process of preparing for that for that legendary fight.
3: Uh, George, we're seeing a lot of uh, films bringing people back to theaters. You know, it, it feels like we've turned that corner now, and and uh, movies like Avatar uh, and even just this past month, it, something like Creed Three or Dungeons and Dragons are really bringing crowds back out uh, in record numbers. Talk to me about the importance of being able to you know, skip streaming, go right to theaters. This is a big sports movie. This is a big biopic. Uh, How excited are you for crowds to be able to see it in multiplexes on the big screen? Did you shoot it for that type of presentation?
1: Yeah, we definitely shot it for that presentation, man, to get the ideal of what it's like to be in the ring and what it's like to be in 70s boxing. I mean, I mean, uh, where outdoor boxing was the key in San Juan and Zaire and and Madison Square Garden and then, you know, all these places, these different arenas, Sacramento, Arco, we really try to recreate what it's like, especially when the smoke and the haze is there, where the flares, we really try to, to get that from a cinematic standpoint. Um, to experience it, what it's like. Um, and then an interesting character, you know, a wildlife that George led. So as a filmmaker, you just, you know, the kind of films that I love is, is always, you know, a sense of character and drama. So you want people to always come out cause you, I enjoy these movies. You want people to come out and see the movie. Uh, and one of the things I love is that by making a film, what it got me excited is you got this inspirational story. You got the humor too, in terms of George, you know, being able to, how do I lose this weight and on the comeback trail, you know Mm. what I mean? At 46, who's supposed to, all those things is is fun and being on the edge of your seat and wondering if anybody can do the impossible. Those are the things I love. And um, my deal is hope that, you know, people um, continue to support theatrical release because that's something that I kept in my head from a person who makes TV as well and makes features. Mm. It's a different point of view. So um, very important to to continue to go out and support uh, films that are not sometimes graphic novels or comic books. So I'm always being supportive of that. Not only me as a filmmaker, but for other filmmakers as well. Absolutely. George,
2: I'm gonna cut you loose on this one and then we're gonna let you go. Um, You know, you've mentioned so many of your incredible films that that I loved growing up, that I get excited just hearing you say, I I grew up with VHS copies of Soul Food in my home. I grew up with VHS copies of of, of Man of Honor. Uh, I'm just sort of curious, in your career, what's the film that you find years later people are still coming up and talking to you about and what does it say about that film in particular that these years later that's what the what, that they want to talk about
1: i mean i think is recently it's always been the same but recently i can just say just recently over the last two years a year and a half a lot of people came to me with the hate you give like the film the yeah, last film. yeah i did
2: that junket oh my god what an incredible film
1: yeah like people will talk about that film and like hey i didn't get a chance to see it at that particular time, and I caught it later, and I was able to understand uh, race, race relation, understand uh, police brutality, but understand at the end of the day, they're connected to family. So mm-hmm. uh, those are the th- those are, that's the most recent film that I was like, wow, they didn't catch it then, but they caught it later, or they come back and revisit it. And as a filmmaker, that's all you really want is your stories to sort of, keep living or people revisit it or see something different. So I was, re- I'm really, really happy to hear to get those stories, t- you know, told to me. Everybody's
2: Particularly weak. that, ex- oh, 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 I'm sorry, sorry. Jake. I would say, particularly that expression, because I feel like it happens so often these days of of people discovering films later. I can't tell you how many times I log onto Netflix, and the number one movie on Netflix is a movie that came out 25 years ago, because people just kind of discover it when they discover it. And and, and not, you know, I would say, like, the success and failure of a movie is not opening weekend, it's 20 years later and 30 years later. At that point, how many people have seen the film?
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just having the discussion. I was just, uh, I don't know how certain people feel about a certain film or not, but. Um, I was just watching um, a movie called Frantic that Harrison Ford did years ago. Oh yeah, sure. You know? I was like, a lot of people don't remember Harrison Ford doing that movie, but it was a great film. And now I'm still an old school kind of guy. I still even, I got thousands of Blu-rays still in my uh, in my room and I don't even open them. You know, sometimes I just don't get to them. But just the point that I own it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I
3: know. Um, it's a bit of a junkie situation, though. <laughs> you, you get these I don't know where to put them anymore. They're pushing me out of this room. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know how
1: many uh, copies of Michael Mann Heat that I got. You know what I mean? I got three copies. There's not
3: a, There's not enough. <laughs> he, you never have he, too he many. He keeps going
1: back in and uh, retransferring and everything. So uh, that's just me, uh, the love of that. And I love to revisit. It's, um, I think Spike Lee says it best. It's the body of work you know it was it was a certain time in my career I was taking two three years between movies trying to perfect the material but he always says get the body of work out you look at the collection of the work and there's so many filmmakers man you just see wow 20 movies like Ron Howard like just amazing catalog you know that he has in different kind of genres Um, so that's why I've been sort of working more listening to Spike just stay busy you know
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, did everybody get a grill as their, as their rap gift? I know I did, man.
1: I got one. Uh, I, got the brand, I got a brand new one. Can you imagine that too, man? Like your life, you know, doing all this fighting and, and then you retired as a heavyweight champion. And then on top yeah. of that, the success of something else. And then the success came and not even thinking about it. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. Right. So yeah. my divine intervention is I got to be a good person. So if I'm a good person, good things could come. Maybe I can get one of those deals. You know what I mean? Yeah, a career in rebirth I loved his
2: line. It was was something like, I can't believe they gave the grill deal (laughs) to a fat guy. They like the grill that's supposed to make you lean. I can't believe they gave it to a fat guy. It was a great (laughs) line.
1: Exactly, exactly. I just heard a story. I just read something that it, like Hulk Hogan was presented it or something like he passed it, something like that. He passed it up. Um, and, you know, and I love hearing stories about George talk about it. You know what I mean? It's just so amazing. Right. And that's one thing I love about the movie is that you see him the beginning of the pitch, man. The beginning. Of oh, yes. Seeing how, how he started to sell in a time not of because I wanted to make money in a time of how do I survive to keep things open? So I'm yeah, excited yeah. to be
3: people to see that. Well, we're excited for people to see your movie, Mr. Tillman, and, and we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and spending time with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming oh, by. Thank you, appreciate it, guys. Thank, thank, you, thank you, sir, appreciate no it. We'll see you for TV in a couple
1: of minutes. All right, see you later. Take-
0: Thank you to George Tillman Jr. for joining us this week. And of course, thank you to Sony for helping us set that up. I think that was a great discussion. And I also love that we get so much information on the biopic genre, which is something that we don't often get to discuss Uh, with filmmakers. And he, of course, has a ton of experience in that realm. As I mentioned, we will be back later this week with a full episode with a full cast of characters here for you to enjoy, as well as another interview, this time with the director of Polite Society, which is a film that Sean has been raving about um, since the beginning of the year at the Sundance Festival. And he's excited to tell you more about it. Uh, We're all excited for you to hear this interview, and that will be dropping on Friday at our usual time slot. But in the meantime, drop a like, hit subscribe, turn on your notifications. If you're here at the YouTube channel, we are, of course, also available wherever you get your audio
2: podcasts. But until next time, I think I'm just supposed to say Barbie.